thought for us as we start off today. <clears throat> the Bible was not written to us, but it's written for us. An interesting thought. Let's pray. Lord, there's stuff written for us, and we pray that as we look at it and do some digging, that we'll discover what the message is to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Yes, yeah, so it's written not written for us, but written to us. So we know that although the Holy Spirit takes the truth of the Bible and applies it directly to our hearts, sometimes you have to go back into ancient times, into another world, another time, and you have to see what's uh, going on there and understand how people back then thought about life. So today we're going way back to the Tower of Power, the Tower of Babel. And today we'll see the origin of languages. We'll see the very first manifestation on a large scale of mankind's desire to follow their dream. Sadly, a dream of what they can achieve without God. And we'll unveil the roots of desires we see around in the world for things like a one-world government. And we'll see that God actually planned for us to live, uh, God actually planned to live with his people in a city, but it was a heavenly city. And that got perverted into a way of doing society which was mainly for the benefit of the rulers and the despots and the merchants and focused in a particular city of Babylon. And then we'll see that there's a sort of like a river, a flow of evil from Noah's son Ham. And one of the big parts down that stream was Nimrod, a great hunter. And then we'll see that at the end of the day, when Babel is destroyed and the new Jerusalem is instituted on that day, what it will look like, what will happen on the day of the Lord, at the end of time when God wraps up everything that's going on here. So, there we are. After the flood. Floods have happened. We've got mankind restarted. And sometimes we think we all came from Adam and Eve. But hold on. We actually also all came from Noah and his wife and the three sons. Shem, Ham and Japheth. I'm resisting temptations to see who was the butcher there with the, the ham. Didn't resist it enough, did I? <laughs> and so here we are in Genesis 10, and we're going to look in a moment at that flow of evil, that flow, the lineage which produced the Tower of Babel on the plains of Shinar. And we'll see that the mighty hunter Nimrod built a kingdom in this land of Shinar, which is where Babylon was. And so it was probably around about his time that this happened. So... You need to go to Genesis chapter 10 here if you want to follow through on your own uh, devices, Bibles. And we look at verse 6, the sons of Ham. And <clears throat> I've underlined, I can't see it all that well, can you? Well, there's black underlining of things. I go, oh, 
they didn't do a good thing with Israel. So sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, they had problems with Egypt, didn't they? Put and Canaan, they had a lot of problems with the Canaanites. And the sons of Cush, we have Seba, Havilah, Sabta, Ramar and Sabtika, sons of Ramar, Sheba and Dedan. And Cush was the father of Nimrod, who became a mighty warrior on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. And that's why it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. And the first centers of his kingdom were Babylon. Well, we know they had problems with the Babylonians. There's Uruk, Akkad, and Kalna in China, which is a, uh, a well, it's modern Mesopotamia. And from that land, we went across to Assyria. They had problems with the Assyrians. Where he built Nineveh, who went to Nineveh? And those of us who've been doing the, the midweek Bible study. Uh, well, no. All right. We'll let, let you think about that. One of the other minor prophets also went to Nineveh. Uh, and where did I get up to? Nineveh. I was in Nineveh and Kala. <laughs> Down verse 13, Egypt was the father of the Luddites. Well, you wanted to know where they came from. They're all Egyptians. There's a different meaning of Luddites nowadays, isn't there? People who don't like technology of any sort. And oh, the whole list of things. Uh, Anamites, Lehabites, Naphtahites, Pathrusites, Kaslahites, from whom the Philistines came. So they're from this line. The Philistines, they had problems with those, particularly big ones, big hairy ones. The, the Kaphtarites, Canaan was the father of Sidon, his firstborn, and of the Hittites, they had problems with the Jebusites, the Amorites, Girgashites, Hivites, Archites, Sinites, uh, Arvidites, Semarites, and Hamathites. And uh, later they, uh, they scattered, and the borders of Canaan reached all over the place. Anyway, those are the guys. Quite a rogue's alley, isn't it? And it gives us a clue to the people who built the Tower of Babel. They come from this strand. And here's a, a nice little map to give you a bit of an idea of the land of Shinar. Down through the middle, you've got the plain. And there's Babylon down, the, down there. And Nineveh's up a bit higher, the Assyrians. So that's, that's the area where the Tower of Babel was. And so we'll go to chapter 11 and we'll read the story. Genesis 11. Now the whole, earth, the whole world had one language and a common speech. And as the people moved eastward, why did they move eastward? Well, on the west they came down on this Mount Ararat, didn't they? And they came down. And they moved eastward from there, found a plain and settled there. And they said to each other, hey, mate, let's make bricks. Let's bake them thoroughly. And they used brick instead of stone. And they used tar for mortar. Interesting thought. We'll see what the significance of that is later. And then they said, come, let's build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see that city and the tower and the people were building. And the Lord said, Ooh, if there's one people speaking the same language, they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down and confuse their language 
so they will not understand each other. And so the Lord scattered them from there all over the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. And that's why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world, and from there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. And then another, another map. And we've got probable location down here for the Tower of Babel. About 2850 BC. <coughs> this is because we're not just uh, fairy tales here. We're actually geographical data, uh, historical data. So, as we commence our study of this story, what were the instructions God gave them? If you flick back to uh, chapter 9, verse 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, He said, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. And fill the earth would mean spread out, go everywhere. But what did they do? 11.2, as the people moved eastward, they found a plain at China and they settled there. Strike one. They stuck together in one spot instead of spreading out. And then they said, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they used bricks instead of stone and they used tar for mortar. And remember times when in the Old Testament they built an altar to worship the Lord with? What did they use? Just natural stones. God's more interested in what he's made and what they're going to use and make. And these guys say, well, look, we want to improve on God's... In well, it's interesting, but it's too variable. We want more uniformity. We want all the bricks to be the same, man-made, uniform. And we're going to use tar, because uh, we've worked out there's a whole... Well, we know today, these are the oil-rich parts of the world, don't they? they? Dig a hole and oil comes up just about. Well, we're going to use that and develop and, use and make tar. And it's quite probable... Think about it. Who used tar just relatively recently to seal his ark? Noah. So they learnt from that. And it's quite possible they wanted a building that would give them some protection against another flood. And more than that, it'd have to be big enough, it'd have to be strong enough, it'd have to be high enough to help them get through if this capricious God goes crazy and destroys it all again. And if you've got the uniform bricks, well, you can make a higher building. And so, remember, there's only one language at this time, and that made possible a lot of cooperation. But it also meant that the personal differences are subjugated to the common good. And they may have looked around and said, well, look, look what the, the bees do, How, look what the termites do. And they modelled their city in a similar fashion, you know, lots of close contact, high degree of conformity, a common purpose here, that's what we're doing. And they definitely connected with the power of the team, the power of everyone, all of us here going in the same direction. I listened to a Jewish rabbi comparing the sins of before the flood, the people before the flood, with the sins of the people after the Tower of Babel. And he said... Now, from, well, we've got, before the flood, there's Cain, he's killed Abel. And he reckons that mob was a very violent mob towards one another. But, you know, they didn't have any doubt about God. But the 
guys after building the tower, they're much better at getting on with one another, but they lost their connection with the reality of God. First mob, before the flood, God had walked with their ancestors. They knew. They were quite certain God was around. But after the flood, God didn't walk with them anymore. That close understanding of the reality of God was different. And so here's what they did in verse 3. They said, well, let's take some bricks. Let's bake them thoroughly. Let's use bricks instead of stone. See, now we've got a point. It's man-made versus God-made. And tar mortar. And they said, let's build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we will make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Let us make a name for ourselves. That's profound essence of what's going on here. And as we unpack that idea, I'd like to remind you again of that lineage of the bad guys, and particular to Nimrod, where it said in verse 9 of chapter 10, he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Now, the Jews of the time of Jesus understood or interpreted that phrase, before the Lord, as in the face of the Lord, which signifies that he's against the Lord, he's in opposition to the Lord. And while we know what it means if someone gets in your face... And so this is Nimrod getting in the face of God, an organiser of his own religious system, actually rebellion against God. And even his word, the meaning of his word Nimrod is closely connected with rebel, to be a rebel. <coughs> there was a Jewish historian writing in the time of Jesus. In, his name was Flavius Josephus. And he speaks about the Tower of Babel. Now, he was familiar with the Pharisees and, and the, the world of Jewish thought. So, but as I read through this, I thought it could have been a, a modern sermon you know, with a few less of these and downs. But this is what he said. This is the Jewish perspective. Now, the sons of... This is from, quoting from his writings that are still around. Now, the sons of Noah were three, the Shem, Japheth, and Ham, born 100 years before the flood. And these first of all descended from the mountains into the plains, fixed their habitations there, and persuaded others who were greatly afraid of the lower grounds on account of the floods, and so were very loath to come down from the higher place to venture and follow their example. And the plain in which they first dwelt was called Shinar, and God had also commanded them to send colonies abroad for the thorough peopling of the earth, that they may not raise seditions amongst themselves, but might cultivate a great part of the earth and enjoy its fruits after a plentiful manner. But they were ill-instructed, badly instructed, and they didn't obey God. And because of that, they fell into calamities and were made sensible by experience of the sin they'd been guilty of for when they flourished with a numerous youth, God admonished them again to send out colonies. But they, imagining that prosperity didn't come from the favour of God, but from their own power, they thought that was the proper cause of things going well and plentiful for him. And because they thought that, they didn't obey him. And in fact, 
they added to their disobedience to God's will the suspicion that they were being ordered to send out the separate, separate colonies and being divided asunder that they could be more easily oppressed. And it was Nimrod who excited them to think about this and have contempt for God. He was the grandson of Ham, son of Noah. And he persuaded them not to ascribe it to God as though it was through Nimrod's means that they were happy. But to believe there was also their own courage which procured their happiness. And so he gradually changed the government into tyranny and seeing no other way of turning men from the fear of God but to bring them into a constant dependence upon his power. You know, the leader, he was the first world leader, Nimrod. And he said he would be revenged on God if God had a mind to drown the world again. For he would build a tower too high for the waters to be able to reach. And he would avenge himself on God for destroying their forefathers. And the place where they built that tower is now called Babylon because of the confusion of the language which they readily understood before. For the Hebrew means, by the word Babel, means confusion. So that's him talking a couple thousand years closer to what actually happened than we have. It gives us a good idea of what the Jews understood uh, was going on in this story. But make no mistake, this make a name for yourself, that's very contemporary, isn't it? The desire to make a name for ourselves is as contemporary as the heart of man. Which one of us has not said, hey mum, look at me, hey dad, look what I'm doing here. And what member of our small community is not concerned to have a good reputation? The smaller the country town, the more important your reputation is actually, isn't it? And it seems to me it's one of those growing jobs, growth of a lifetime jobs for all of us to work out how we can balance the fact that we need to have a meaningful achievement, balance that with the desire to other people for other people to notice what we're doing, to notice our achievements and give us the recognition we think we deserve. Can you tell the difference in your spirit between being obsessively driven to achieve something or just being really excited to do this and thrilled about what you're able to do here? Because sometimes you find you're being driven. It's like somebody you're not sure who or why or how is forcing you to keep at this and it's become a drudge and it's... And you go, oh, is it because I want people to see how good I am here, how much I'm achieving here? So we have to ask ourselves questions like, are other people nourished healthily by what I'm doing? Or are they just not up to my standard, not in my league? Just, they're just markers along the roadside to my success. You have to ask yourself, does my enjoyment come from beating people at something or from helping people? Does my enjoyment come from being a winner or being a member of a winning team? Does it come from making other people look bad or making them look good? And it, one of the things that 
struck me over the years is what Mr. Disney sells, which is a variation of this. Let's make a name for ourselves. And it is follow your dream. Follow your dream. There's a guy, Simon Sinek, who talks about millennials in the workforce and how they get in there, they get their job, and he asks about six months later, well, how are you going? And they say, oh, it's going all right, but I don't think I'm making much of a change in the world. Because the, the follow your dream is, follow your dream, you'll make a big impact on the world. Everyone will see how good you are. You'll be a world changer. But joy doesn't come from you being a world changer. It comes from your relationship with Jesus, from being close to him. And the major problem that these tower builders had was they wanted to make a name for themselves and they wanted to do it without God and they wanted to be assessed independently of God. They wanted to do things their ways and it wasn't just one guy on his own. They, the power of the group drew together into this quest an attempt to band together all of mankind at that time against God. And, you know, how can you do that? Let's do something really big. Something grandiose, something with gravitas, you know. A, a worthy project. That'll capture everyone's attention. It'll get them working together. So, well, it was, it was going to be the biggest tower in the world. The ultimate man-made achievement. So, you know, we see those today in things like the Dubai Towers. The International Space Station. That's us banding together as mankind. A massive project. But the project was a monument to themselves, to call attention to their abilities and achievements and not to call attention to how great God is. And they wanted to unify themselves. They used uniform, manufactured bricks, highly organized, conformist, teamwork, factory behavior, all together to get this common purpose going. And I don't know if it's you, but I think that same sort of spirit exists today in things like communism, in Marxism. And those who think there should only be one really good government in this world. There should be only one bank and it should use digital currency. It'll be the same all over the world. And we should really control people's lives very strongly uh, because they, we don't want to do anything dangerous to the sense that they need to follow our instructions. And you get things like social credits nowadays in China. Uh, you get rewarded for thinking and doing the right thing. And, and it would be far better if one government owned everything. That's that same sort of Babel spirit that thinks those types of things. And people who think that mankind alone should control their destiny, what other things do they think about? They have a mob called eugenicists who believe, that, well, really, there are too many people on Earth. And if we're going to have a sustainable planet, we'd probably like to kill off about 15% of them. And so the planet can survive, and we can do that. All we need to do is get everyone used to thinking they need to be vaccinated. And there are people who think, uh, call themselves transhumanists, and the research is happening these days. They think we can improve on DNA. We can create a better version of humans, and they're playing around with genetics. They want to create either super soldiers or, or passive worker bees who uh, won't object. They're manifestations of people who think like the Tower of Babel people. The desire to make a name for themselves without God 
is still very much alive today. Now, have you thought what would that tower have actually looked like? Well, in those days, in southern Mesopotamia, when they thought of a tower, they thought of a ziggurat. That's the sort of thing was in their thinking. And you know, that type of thing is in so many cultures all over the world. Similar variations on that type of way of doing towers. You can go across to South America, you can go to Africa. Just proof that once again people were gathered together and then when they spread all that over the world they took their common ideas with them. Ziggurats played a role in the cults of many cities in that area of the plan, land of Shinar. They've discovered 19 of these buildings in 16 cities. And the, the literary sources say there was another 10. Interestingly, they were usually, well, they were always built by kings. Because, you know, back in those days, this big conflict between the palace and the temple, and the kings were sort of showing, well, we can build far more impressive religious deeds, things than the priests can do. We're the ones with the real power. There's a fascinating archaeological find called the Tower of Babel Steel. Now, S-T-E-L-E, -E, and that's really an engraving on a rock. Now, obviously, you can't see all that closely, but there's a line drawing of what's on there, and that's a picture of a cigarette. And they believe it's got Nebuchadnezzar II from the Bible, looking at it, at the old dilapidated remains of the tower which is still existing in his day. He wanted to repair it and he got conquered and the Persians wanted to repair it and they got conquered by Alexander the Great and he got it torn down in order to build a new one but then of course he died. So all they got is this excavated hole. Which hole? Well, you'd have to be an archaeologist to speculate on where the actual hole is. But it gives you an idea of what type of a tower we're talking about and still today there's some remains the great ziggurat of Ur today you can just see little people on the top there. That's, that's just the remains, what it was like back in the day. Here's an interesting thing. In the Hebrew Bible, you may be interested to know that the same word is used for Babel and Babylon. It's the same word. B-A-B-L. So Babel and Babylon are inextricably linked. The same spirit is behind both of them. The desire for a city of self-made, self-determining. And before we look at the fruit of their way of making a name, let's talk about the difference between real and counterfeit. You know this desire to hang together in a city? We like to hang together with the mob, be with our tribe, be with our family, don't we? That's, there's something good about that. There's something real about that. And God's God's put it in there because one day he's going to be bring, bringing us together in the new Jerusalem. So we go to the book of Revelation to see where, desire, where this desire for a city is a good thing. And then I saw a new heaven, a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away 
and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, and this is the central quality of where we're heading, folks. Look, God's dwelling is now among the people. That's profoundly magnificent. God's dwelling is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. That's the real desire. That's the real place we're going to. That is just an amazing future ahead of us. The connection between God and his people is going to be re-established one day but only on God's terms. For the Tower of Babel is a, confident, count, sorry, a counterfeit version of God's holy city. Babylon as a city, it has an allure, it attracts people, promises them lots, but it's a trap. There's no mistake when we talk about the rat race of the city because people are trapped like rats in a, in a cycle of earning and spending and earning and spending for their desires to be met and for them to become stronger and make a name for themselves in their arenas. To be in the city of God for eternity, you have to go through this one narrow pathway, faith in Jesus. 1 Timothy 2 verse 5, faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior says, for there is one God and there's one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men. It's only through faith in Jesus that you get there to the new city. <clears throat> the attraction of the city? Enjoy its pleasures. Enjoy its sins. Uh, let's, let's be up front here. Sinning can be very pleasurable. It can be very engrossing. But it doesn't have peace, does it? doesn't have peace in it and its end result is death and prolonged and repeated sin leads to many different types of death for example just a, one example drug use you get an ecstasy but it leads through many stages of addiction right down to the gutter literally and repentance and turning away from sin doesn't mean you're not going to be tempted but it does mean you're more aware that now I have God in my life. And I know if I trust that God is in my life, I can have more resources to cope and overcome with my sinfulness. So what did God do about the tower? He said, come, let's go down. Let us go down. Oh, there's us, the Trinity, right there. And confuse their language so they won't understand each other. And so the Lord scattered them there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. And that's why it's called Babel because there the Lord confused the languages of the whole world. And from there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. And that's where languages came from. They can trace it back to about, so far, 90 core languages. There's like almost 7,000 different languages. There's about 90 so far they've got back to well there's 70 
people in the genealogies, so they've probably got a bit more refining to do to get back to the same number of original languages that the scripture says, but they'll get there one day. And if you're worrying about how bad the world's going, think about this time. All of humanity is gathered together on a common task here, and they're going to push against God, and what happened to them? They didn't win. God stepped in and did a simple thing, just confused their language. And God will do that in, in the future. You know, the scripture says that the final battle will be on the plains of Megiddo, Armageddon, and the nations of the world are going to turn up. And they're going to come with all their, with all their modern weaponry. And they're going to come with their new, nuclear arsenals and their planet-busting bombs so that when Jesus comes from the clouds in heaven, that they can nuke him. And you know what's going to happen? They're going to get swashed like a bug. They have no idea. They are so entranced with their own powers, they have no idea of how puny they actually are in comparison with the God of the universe. What's going to be the end result of them? Well, we can see from Revelation what that's going to be. Revelation 18 verse 1. After this I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had great authority and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. And with a loud, mighty voice, he said, this is what's going to happen to Babel. Or Babylon. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. She's become a dwelling for demons and a haunt for every impure spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable animal. And how pervasive is Babylon in the world? Verse 3, for all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. When the kings of the earth have committed adultery with her and shared her luxury, see the smoke of her burning, they'll weep and mourn over her. Why? <laughs> they were making money. That's going to be gone. They'll be taken away. And the next verse is a description of what's going to happen to world trade, to the supply chain. And if you think carefully about the supply chain, you realize it's actually the mechanism for a relatively small number of of people to become super rich. Just think of Elon Musk's and Jeff Bezos. What's going to be the situation for people investing in? If we join together, we'll make a name for ourselves. We'll be rich. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Cargoes of gold, silver, precious stones and pearls, um, digital devices, fine linen, purple, silk and scarlet cloth, every sort of citron wood and articles, every kind made of ivory, costly wood, bronze, iron, marble. Oh, look at the cargoes of cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine and olive oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, sheep, horses, and human beings sold as slaves. Just indication of evil of that. My goodness. Did the Tower of Babelites win? Does Babylon win in the end? No. And I suppose you say, oh, look, people don't take the story of the Tower of Babel seriously. It's only a story, right? Well, some folks do. Take, for example, the European Union Parliament Building. Today, it mimics the Tower of Babel. It even appears unfinished. 
because the Tower of Babel was never finished. Are they taking it seriously? Well, many years ago, they had a poster depicting the Tower of Babel and the phrase that went on it, Europe, many tongues, one voice. Worse yet, the European Union has lots of other biblical symbols, such as the woman riding on the beast from the book of Revelation. And they've even got the same symbol on their coins and currency. What about Jeff Bezos? So I mentioned he's the head of Amazon. What's his new headquarters look like? Built in Virginia. He's calling it the Helix. Does that look like a tower to you? What about in the money world? The headquarters of the Bank of International Settlements is like the central bank of central banks. Let's look at what that looks like. A tower? So when you hear people talk about we have a shared vision for all humanity, we just need to reset it, their vision will only be a human vision. I don't know about you, but I'd like to be in God's new Jerusalem one day. I think it's going to end better than Babylon, don't you? And are you going to be there too, living for the name of God? Or will you be out there trying to make a name for yourself? You think about it. The name of Jesus is the only name worth glorifying, worth magnifying, worth praising, worth worshipping and that's the call this morning. Make a name for yourself? No. Lift up the name of Jesus. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, let us not be led astray trying to make our own name. Let us be fully committed to making Jesus' name, to following Jesus' name, proclaiming Jesus' name, and understanding that the name which will be prevailing at the end of time will be the name of Jesus. And that wonderful hope that, you know, we see things dimly like living, looking into a mirror darkly. But God is going to live down with us, with his people. Wow, now that is a wonderful hope for the future. So forgive us our sins, forgive us when we've ignored you, we turn away from anything which distracts us from the name of Jesus. Hallelujah and Amen.